Welcome to Dumb Love. I'm Sally Brooks. And I'm Jenna O'Neill Smith. And this is a podcast about all of the dumb things that people will do for love. So welcome to episode 102. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. Sally and I have not gotten up from the table after episode 101. I'm just going to be honest with you. <laughs> Although I do somehow... made, the <laughs> I do somehow magically now have a glass of wine in front yeah, of me. She does. So. <laughs> That's how I take care of my guests. Yep. <laughs> Oh, it's wine good to be fancy back. Fancy wine glasses. It's, it is good to be back. Good to see you, Sally. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, so we, I mean, we took a break, but we have seen each other over that break a couple times. We did. Yeah, we did yoga, yoga in the park. <laughs> that was lovely. It was nice. It was almost like a private class because <laughs> nobody else signed up for hot ass summertime yoga, except for the two of us. To the point where I was like, I'm sorry to the girl that like had to come teach it. I was like, Do you want us to just? I know. I I finally found Jen, and she's just her and the teacher sitting there, and she's like, "Is it just gonna be us?" And then at the end of the class, she was like, "Um, announcement: starting next week, uh, outdoor classes are gonna start at eight o'clock instead of six because this is too fucking hot." Yeah, it was. Uh, it was a little. It was high yoga. It was great. High yoga. <laughs> it was great. But I have you. I've been like. Just Dipping my toe in normal life. Like, I've eaten at a restaurant inside. You did. Have you? Yeah, I have. Yeah, I have. I I mean, the first time I did it, though, I was like, (gasps) yeah. Like, I felt like the germs were like encircling my throat and killing me. (laughs) It's because they are. I know. But now I'm like, you know, and I was vaccinated then. Yes, yeah. But, you know, no, it just feel like feels weird. You just like gotta you get feel used like to it. This is wrong. This is scary. But yeah. I was at a show last night, and someone. So first of all, I'm in this show. It's out in like the far suburbs of Atlanta, where COVID apparently didn't exist. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. I didn't think any it ever existed. But so. Of course, nobody's wearing a mask, which like is fine. Like we're during we did a show. Yeah. We both when we walked in, both wearing masks, both wearing masks, both fully vaccinated, but nobody was wearing a mask. And Jen goes, "I guess we can take our masks off." And I was like, "Yeah, I guess so." Like I guess so. Yeah. Like, I'm just so used to everybody wanting you to have a mask on. I felt like they all looked at us like we were crazy. Though. They did look at us like yeah. we were crazy. And then like three more comedians walked in, and they're all from the city, and they were all wearing their masks too. Yes. And I was just like, hey, guys, you don't wear those here. <laughs> <laughs> you don't need to wear that. Um, but so that was what it was like last night at this place. Um, and so I'm thinking like, okay, so most of you people are are vaccinated, right? Like at this point, adults can all be vaccinated. I hope. But some one of the comedians was like, how many of you who's vaccinated? And less than half the audience clapped. And I'm like... And you guys are just out in the world. Just like, no, nobody. Nobody wear masks. No. Okay. This is why we wear our masks. (laughs) We were right. We were right. To feel that way. Yeah, to feel that way. But yeah, Um, I went, I got, um, for Mother's Day, I got a massage. Nice. Which felt like my first big, like, foray out into public. Was it just so 
interesting, different to have like someone touching touch. you. Yeah. Um, it was amazing. It, I, I went to treat your feet, which nice. is, I love treat your feet. It is an amazing, it's like a foot massage place in Atlanta, but they also do like full body massages and yeah. everything. And it's, it really is so good, but I mean, it's, and it's not expensive, which I love. Um, love it. it. I enjoy it so much more when I'm not paying $500. Yeah. And the guy who did my massage was amazing. So he did the foot massage first, a full hour foot massage. Yeah. And then I got a full hour back massage. Which by the way, the full hour foot massage, I was just explaining this to uh, good pal, Dustin Harder. Dustin Harder. Pad. Follow him on Vegan Brody. Um, and listen to his podcast, Keep on Cooking with Dustin Harder. Um, so my birthday is Saturday. Yes. And, you know, <laughs> just started <laughs> drop that. Um, so, and then, so we decided to go get massages too. And I told them, um, and I was like, okay, I'm going to do get us like two hour massages, hour foot massage, hour body massage. And then he was like, what the hell do they do with your feet for an hour? <laughs> <laughs> really comfy chairs and they give you like hot tea and stuff and yeah. they like they spend like like 20 minutes on your feet and then it's yeah. like legs and arms and and you don't have to like get undressed which is i actually like that i, think I it's do pretty too awesome. i like i uh, yeah i like that and then your head stretch out they, yeah. yeah it's great but so i got the i did that and which was amazing and then i did the full body massage after that and at one point, were you just like a puddle of mud? Like, oh yeah, a like of mud? I, that's a band. Were you just a puddle? I was just like a Christian rock band, <laughs> a puddle of mud. Um, at one point, I was like, you know, laying there on my back, and this guy—I mean, he was a deep tissue massage, so he was like really getting get into it. And all of a yeah, sudden, I'm like, I much. feel, I'm like, man, he's really getting in these yeah. like knots. <laughs> knots in my back Mm -hmm. and I was like wait are those his knees because I felt or his (laughs) I felt his hands on my shoulders and then in my back were his knees so this (laughs) tiny man had climbed on top of me and was crawling with his knees in my back oh my god I was like but I think I like it I think it's great I was felt great massage like the the more you're like oh is this some like new <laughs> technique that not I was a lot of like, people know <laughs> I, it was so it was so like disorienting because i like i didn't feel him climb up there but apparently this tiny man had climbed on top of me oh my god okay i just have to share this story real quick of like a massage that i got um uh, this is going to be so embarrassing. But I got this massage when I was in um, on our honeymoon in Greece. Like, yeah. For fucking ever ago. I guess like 13 years ago. And so we were, went to this place in Santorini. And the place that we were staying at had this like these like caves and the spa that was in a cave and like Zach is not into spa shit at all. So he wasn't going to do any of that stuff. So I like had a spa day by myself and then I had to like go into this like dark cave and like with like all these candles and like find this like little side room where this guy was going (laughs) to give me a massage and he was like a real big dude with like long hair (laughs) and he just 
doesn't look like your typical masseuse. And, yeah. And then, so then I like, so then, you know, you get undressed or whatever. And then they just, he gave me this like tiny tea, like a tea towel. Yeah. Like I had to choose <laughs> like lower half. Yeah. Or top half. Lower half or top half. So I chose lower half. Yeah. And then, um, and then I was just, I was like, well, I'm in Greece and <laughs> I don't know how they do things here. Maybe this is a normal massage. Uh-huh. I don't know. So like the massage was fine, but in the meantime it was a very naked yeah. massage. Um, so I spent my honeymoon getting massaged by a total stranger. <laughs> but the funniest part was that like later after the whole spa experience or whatever, and then like I would went into like the hotel lobby and this guy was just like watching foot- soccer football, <laughs> football soccer, smoking, chain smoking cigarettes and drinking like yeah. Greek beer and shooting the shit with his buddies. It was like eight of them that like never left this fucking television set in the hotel lobby and I was like that's the fucking guy that guy like I I don't care and I think he like like may have massaged my boobs (laughs) I was like hey I'm in Greece I don't know how they do things here (laughs) I don't know what a Greek massage is like Oh, man. Yeah, uh, that guy probably didn't even work there. No, he was just like, okay, let's see how many women we can get to come down to this cave. And then he just like pulled a dish rag out that he found in the corner, like, here, put this on. <laughs> it was one of those, like, you know, when you're like, you work at a restaurant, you know, those like rags that like you use to spray and wipe down yes. on the table. It was like, that's the towel that they gave me. <laughs> Like what? Where hey, do I choose? I left it all in that cave. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Doctor Doofuck and I went to go get a massage, and it was like one of those impulse things uh-huh. where we were like, we were getting our nails done, and then across from it was like this massage place, and it was like thirty minutes for twenty dollars, and we were like, let's go do it. <laughs> and I could hear from the room I was in, I could hear the woman pounding on Aaron and I was like we came out and she was like what the fuck was that like the woman was like I could hear her like slapping slapping her her body and I at first I was like oh the same thing where I was like maybe it's something great maybe she loves it and she was like no I just got beat the fuck up man like I paid for that oh was she like red and sore and (laughs) yeah it was awful at least it was only twenty dollars but so right. she got paid, yeah, yeah. such so pay for. <laughs> um, okay. Okay, so... now that we've talked about massages for the entire episode, <laughs> should we do some quickies? Let's do some quickies. All right. Okay, I'm going to start this week. Um, and luckily my uh, quickie is quick because we just ate up a lot of time there. <laughs> um, and I'm going to be deeply regretting the fact that I shared my... Uh, with you guys um so my quickie came from an article from fox 5 atlanta written by the fox 5 digital team so this happened right here in our home state in atlanta sally you and i just ate sushi yeah for dinner it's our Uh favorite we love sushi but would you love it enough to shoot someone (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) 
<laughs> what did they do? Did they take my sushi? On May 28th, um, at the Jinya Izakaya, am I saying that right? <laughs> Is, uh, <laughs> so, on May 28th, at the Jinya Izakaya restaurant on Northside Drive, witnesses told officers that Deja Cole, I want to say Colbert because that's how stupid. Even uh-huh. says it, but well, it could then. be Colbert. <laughs> uh, Deja Colbert and her companion Antonio Davis were so unhappy with their raw sushi that they came. Be- uh, they began complaining to the staff, and they s- disputed their bill. And at one point, Deja was so upset that she stood up on the table and began <laughs> shouting and creating a disturbance at the restaurant. Oh, she did like this is a motherfucking robbery. Yes. <laughs> Oh, wow. Sushi. And then so um, the people at the table next to her asked her to move away from their table because she was shouting. Yeah. And so police said that she then became angry. The customer that asked her to move, somehow he put his beer between them, it says, and which led to some of that beer getting on her. Uh-huh. Uh, it said that he either poured it on her or spilled it. Um, and when that happened, the woman punched the man in the face, Love and it. then the her boyfriend or companion that she was with, uh, Antonio Davis, then took out a gun, and then she got her purse and also pulled out a firearm. They had his and hers firearms. Right? How how uh, very classy that she keeps yes. it in her purse. It's a dainty <laughs> little thing. So now they had two guns drawn in this um, in this public restaurant, and yeah. so customers started freaking out. And then an employee flagged down a straight state trooper asking for help, and then the Atlanta Police Department was called. Both of them were arrested, and police officer Steve Avery said, everyone has had bad service at a restaurant. (laughs) (laughs) And haven't you wanted to shoot those motherfuckers? (laughs) This sort of behavior is, there's no other way to say it, it's unacceptable. (laughs) (laughs) So they were both arrested and charged with aggravated assault and a weapons charge. Over. Sushi. Oh, sushi. I love sushi, but I wouldn't. I don't have a gun. Yeah, I'm like, you wouldn't pull your gun out of your purse, Jen? I don't think that I would. (laughs) I just love that they were like up on the table. Like, how much sake did they have? I don't know. I mean, people are just going cuckoo these days. Like, you know, I think like just people trying to get back into the real world and being out in public like maybe that was their first time back in a restaurant (laughs) they didn't know that that's what you're supposed to not what you're supposed to do when you have bad service when we've been at home we've been taking the guns out at each other (laughs) (laughs) when you didn't refill my water glass that's how we did it growing up this is weird. Oh, that's a very Atlanta oh. story. I love it is. It. It's a very Atlanta story. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, my quickie comes from an article in the New York Post and an article in the New York Magazine by Christ Rovzar. Ooh. So, okay. So the people of Mount Vernon, New York, this was... Um, a couple years ago, so this is pre-COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, the people of Mount Vernon, New York, had a bit of a terrorist scare when police were alerted to an abandoned Greyhound bus in their town. So a neighbor saw a man like pull up in the bus. He was sitting on it for about a half an hour before he got out. And then when no one came back, 
they were like, this might, maybe there's like a bomb on the bus, right? So it turned out that this like bus. speed. Yeah, exactly. But then it mm-hmm. stopped. This bus had, was one that had gone missing from the Port Authority bus terminal in New York. And Greyhound actually had the person who stole one of their new $600,000 buses on camera. The video showed the man getting on the bus, disabling the bus's security system, and stealing it from the gate. And they also recognized the man because he was one of their bus drivers. He was a 29-year-old man named Dwayne Snipes of the Bronx, and he had been driving for Greyhound for two years. So police find him, they question him about why he stole the bus, and he starts giving them like a variety of excuses. He first tells investigators that he was borrowing the bus to give $600 tours to make money. He was like, oh, I was just going to give my own tours, make some money. I'm just going to use this bus real quick. You guys get it. You know how you do. And then, and then he was like, oh, no, I mean, actually, I was just taking my daughter to school and I happened to grind up in Mount Vernon. And then he was like, oh, no, he told the, another police officer, I was just going for a, a joyride. So the real reason that he was going, Jen, was love. Apparently, he was desperate to... This is a different kind of quickie. (laughs) He was desperate to visit a lady friend in Mount Vernon, so he borrowed the bus to go see his lady. So why would he not have given that excuse in the first place, since it actually seems better than saying he was going to give tours? Well, because even though a cor- he, like he was obviously going to go to jail for stealing the bus, he oh was God, he's still trying to cover <gasps> his ass because he also had a serious girlfriend in North Carolina and a nine-year-old daughter in the Bronx by another woman who oh, he was still with. No, this one went. Lo- this took a wild <laughs> bus ride, just like the movie Speed. There's twists and turns and yeah so he pled guilty uh or he pled not guilty to grand larceny and he was held on held in lieu of five thousand dollars bail his lawyer said that snipes did a foolish thing but only wanted to borrow the bus not steal it wow wow like i don't think it's not like a library i know you don't get to just check you don't borrow cars (laughs) yeah you steal them like how desperate was he to see this lady that he was like yeah i'm gonna do just call her an uber it's like my work my work car oh my god wow so, yeah. Wow, Sally. Wow. Wow. So that's my quickie. Okay. Dear <laughs> Sally. Yes, Jen? Are you ready for a crazy story this week? I am ready for a crazy story. A uh, true crime story, I should say. Is it a good one? It is a good one. Because I don't want any bullshit stories. It's a good one. <laughs> All right. It's got lots of, lots of elements to it. All um, right. Okay, so my information came from an article for from Kale tv.com an article for newsbreak.com an ar- um, article for monsters and critics uh-huh. and familiar. then also an episode of snapped <gasps> you know i love snap it's uh, like it's the og, OG. Mm-hmm. yeah okay and you know it's gonna be something somebody doing some petty shit for some dumb reasons no it's dumb it's real dumb (laughs) samantha nicole wolford was born in 1989 and she was the oldest of three children her siblings were natasha and daryl who were younger than her and she 
really loved to take care of people. Mm -hmm. Even as a small child, she kind of took on the role to her younger siblings as the mom. Yeah. You're like a cute little mom and junior, you know, to her younger siblings. And so she always dreamed of becoming a mom because she was such a caretaker. Uh And when she was just 19 years old, she found out that her and her high school boyfriend at the time were expecting and so well i guess she was out of high school but it was her boyfriend from like it was her high school sweetheart yeah and they found out that they were expecting but um an even bigger surprise was that they were having twins (gasps) so that is hard yeah that's hard at any age yeah but apparently she was a really great mom um and her and her boyfriend they stayed together for about a year but ultimately the relationship ended ended because he was just kind of young and dumb and not really like father material they said so at age 20 she found herself you know a single mom to twin babies which is difficult and so can do anything isn't it crazy when you hear stories like that i'm like man women are strong (laughs) they really are and you know she had to support her her family so Mm -hmm. she became a newborn photographer okay um and then she also sold mary Kay. like she did whatever she needed to do to make money yeah and then in january of 2008 when she was at a tattoo shop she met 22 year old ernie ibarra jr ernie his real name's ernest but you know ernie's a nickname for ernest did you know Ernestly Ibarra Jr. Um, I mean, I'm always learning on this show, Jen. Yeah. <laughs> so he was born um, on Christmas Day of 19 in 1985 in Mount Pleasant, Texas. His sister said that he, he was always a bookworm. He just like loved to read um, so much that he read like so my son does this too it's funny um so he read so much that his mom actually had to take away his books because he would stay up all night long reading and then would fall asleep during school yeah so Sully my son not yet that I don't know if he hasn't slept during school but I have definitely caught him like still reading at like midnight I that's I I that's one of the my problems with reading books with my eyes is that I'm like can't put a book down really? and I will like stay up and read all night long and keep being like I should put this down and then like I'm not a person who books make me fall asleep at all I oh can, like, they pass me right yeah. out <laughs> I can stay up all night and read book oh man so he was also um really into computers not mm. just using them but he like would I mean he loved to use computers and right. computers but he he wanted to know how they work so we would take mm. them apart and put them back together but by the time he was in high school he just kind of spent all of his time um, on computers or playing video games. Yeah. He was a gamer, they said. Uh, what I like to call an indoor kid. <laughs> also my son. <laughs> I was like, mm, he's an indoor kid. Um, so after high school, um, he went to college and he ended up getting a certificate. This is the only information I have. A certificate for computer technology, I'm assuming, because his mother on the, uh, God bless her, his mother on the interview on Snap mm-hmm. was like, he went to college and got like a certificate. So like, I'm assuming that's what he got, but I don't know for sure. So he was like, um, you ruined know, the story. Yeah. I need those details. And so 
He was kind of, um, he was like, you know, one of those, he was a goth kid, uh-huh. you know, he was like, he had like long black hair and a long black trench coat uh-huh. and, um, you know, he was kind of had like a mysterious look to him. And when Samantha and Ernie met, they hit it off because she was really outgoing and bubbly, mm-hmm. like, you know, just kind of the center of attention. He was the more like reserved, quiet, mysterious type. Yeah. And so... They dated casually for a couple of years, you know, on and like, you know, just nothing too serious. But then things became more serious when they found out that she was expecting. Dang. And then they became even more serious when they found out that they were expecting another set of twins. No kidding. Two sets of twins. That's, how old is she at this point? So, so then in 2013, yeah. when Samantha was just 24, she gave birth to their fifth child so they had five kids at the age of 24 like that is so young too many kids too many kids so many kids (laughs) for me that's true i mean for some god bless her too yeah so (laughs) that's wow yeah man so ernie was now at this point working two jobs to support you know five kids yeah the family of seven. He was doing working for this bat manufacturing company called I'm sorry, D Bat. Bat like baseball. Oh baseball. Bat. <laughs> yeah. And then I was um, picturing like the animal, like the flying animal. Yeah. I was like, wait, what? I think it had something <laughs> to do with engraving the bats. Okay. And then um and then at nights he would work at Little Caesar's Pizza, which um shoot me dead, but I like Little Caesar. I do too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like a real parmesan shitty oh, square. Man. It was the best pizza in Morgantown, West Virginia, where yeah. Ben and I lived for five years. We loved Pizza Pizza. Yeah. It's, it's $6 for a yeah. full pizza and Just like when you get one of those like real cheesy squares that's just covered oh. in that Little Caesar's parmesan. Right? And it's just... <laughs> Smell of Kmart in the background. Our yes. Little Caesars was inside of Kmart. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now we sometimes, this is so disgusting. This is what dirtbags we are. We like to get it on road trips and we call it car pizza. That's great. And it's $5 for everybody can eat. Yeah, that's not what dirt bags do. <laughs> and then you have leftovers when you get to the place. Exactly. <laughs> uh, if you haven't had car pizza, I highly recommend it. Oh, I'll have everything pizza. Yeah. I'll have car pizza, couch pizza, rock pizza. Um, <laughs> so... Um, also, to make money, um, Samantha started a YouTube channel. Okay. To she was hoping that it would. It didn't really bring an income, but she started it hoping mm-hmm. that it would. Yeah. Um, so she started this YouTube channel called Simply Manic, and it still exists. Like you can still watch these videos, and so it was videos of her talking about just everything, like her personal life, um, and mostly the struggles of being a young mother of five. So yeah. she was hoping the goal was to like give tips to young moms mm-hmm. and um and she she started getting some followers and so she really liked the attention that she was getting. Then she kind of set her sights on becoming internet famous. You know, Uh she started putting all of her energy into this YouTube channel. Yeah. And so this caused some friction between her and Ernie because she would talk 
about him and his family and stuff on the channel and yeah. air all their dirty laundry. Yeah. And he was a private person and he didn't like her talking about his personal life. Yeah, man, I don't care if you're a private person or not. You probably don't want someone sharing all your business. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, we do that <laughs> to our families, but it's different when we do. Because, like, we're not doing it for money. <laughs> the difference is we don't make any money. <laughs> and we're not famous. So, um, but we will take it if you want to give yeah. it to us and make us famous. We'll take sure. it. Sure. Um, <laughs> So, and that wasn't the only thing that they fought about. Like, while he was annoyed with her for making these videos, mm-hmm. she was annoyed with him because he was always playing video games. Yeah. Which would annoy me. I'm just saying. Oh, uh, yeah. That would that and really so, annoy me. And apparently, like, so the, some of the games that he would play were these, like, role-playing games. You're like, I don't know. They didn't say the name of it, but I'm imagining, like, Sims or something like that. And Samantha was, like pissed when she found out that his avatar Mm -hmm. married another female avatar (gasps) in the game yeah so and she she was not happy about that and apparently like they said that to calm her down because she was so angry at him he was like look i'll marry you in real life like just get off my back and with that they ended up in 2014 they went down to the courthouse in hope arkansas and got married it was super romantic Uh (laughs) and so um destined to work yeah i just am picturing like his female avatar to have like a cat face and like dragon wings and big giant boobs oh yeah yeah Like a like body armor over yeah. showing the six pack. Um, yeah, and he probably has like chest tattoos. Oh yeah, yeah. I wish I could see a picture of what their avatars look like to know if I'm right. So they got married, mm-hmm. but then just two years later, um, early in the morning of February on February twentieth, two thousand fifteen, Samantha's mother, whose name is Rosie Wilford, um, she received a phone call from Samantha, and Samantha was completely frantic. Yeah, she was telling her mother that there were intruders in their house, and that someone had kidnapped Ernie. Then she was like, "Wait, what? What's going on? I, like, I don't understand." And then um, when she heard her daughter say, "I'm tied up." Then she, her mom started freaking out and was like, oh my God. So she just was, took off in the direction of her daughter's house. But yeah. while she was on the way, she called her sister, Ginger Kesterson, who lived nearby and drove over to Samantha and Ernie's house. And that's where she found Samantha upstairs. And she was gagged with her hands tied behind her back and her feet tied. And she was screaming and crying and saying like, Ernie had been kidnapped. Like, I don't know where he is. And so... Mm-hmm. Then soon after, police officers from the Titus County Sheriff's Department arrived. And so with that, they took Samantha and all of her children out of the house, you know. Um, And so thank God all of the kids, they were all upstairs and none of them had been harmed, thank God. So all of them were fine. So they removed her and the children from the house and then they began to look around the house to see if they could find any evidence of what what happened here, Mm -hmm. you know. So they searched the home... And they didn't see like any, that anything had been taken. There was no robbery, but the front door was busted into like 
five pieces and there were signs that there was a physical struggle in the house because there was sheetrock upstairs that had been smashed in that made it look like somebody had been thrown into the wall yeah and then there was also blood on the wall which looked like it happened during a fight yeah and then the weirdest part was that right by the door there was a lock of hair on the ground like a like a cut off piece of hair on the ground and so when police brought samantha in for questioning so she told the police that earlier that day she was visiting her friend at the hospital who had just had a baby and so then after that she came home and then her and aunt Ernie ate dinner. They watched mm-hmm. a movie. She's told them that they didn't fight or anything, that he was actually in a great mood that day. You know, it was a nice night. And yeah. then they went to sleep. And then she said that um, she remembered at sometime a little after 1 a.m. that someone started jerking the blankets down and she said it scared her. And then she said that one of the attackers then held a knife to her throat uh-huh. while Ernie was dragged downstairs and beaten. And then afterwards, they brought her downstairs. And so she said that they had me on my knees, forcing him to look at me. It was like they were using me as like some kind of taunting factor. And they were punching him in the face with a gun. And she said that after they beat him in the face with a gun, he finally became kind of limp and stopped fighting. Mm -hmm. And that's when they took him out of the house. But before they took him, she said that they cut a lock of his hair Uh and they told her that... He needed a trim. Yeah. (laughs) She... Sally, this is not a comedy podcast. What do you think this is? A comedy podcast about dumb things people do for love? Um, So she... um, <laughs> cut a lock of his hair uh, or she said that they cut a lock of his hair and mm-hmm. then um and then told her like you're this is for you because this is all you're gonna have to remember him by because they were going to kill him uh-huh. and so then they took her upstairs uh, when they took him out and then they bound and gagged her okay and so after the in- she said that after the intruders left because the police were like well how did you if you were bound and gagged how did you Call, call the police mom. and she said oh i i use my nose and they're like how did you get to your phone and she's like i just wiggled on my side over and i use my nose listen <laughs> i've got a big nose <laughs> not a I big do nose. but even if i didn't even if i had like a teeny tiny nose i don't know that i could successfully <laughs> dial my mother's entire phone number <laughs> I don't even know my mother's entire right. phone number. But you could like it's swipe like, up. Should we do an experiment? Should we? But like I uh-huh. and I can't swipe up because no, no, it's not gonna work. Oh, not gonna work. Yeah. Face I mean, ID. this was in 2000, 2015. Phones were different then, but not that different. I was still trying to call, try to call Jen. Oh no! Oh shoot! I oh, did I no. call? <laughs> I just called someone. Well, shit. Okay, I'm with you. It's not possible. Not probable. Not probable. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so, so she said that the assailants were wearing masks that covered their whole face, mm-hmm. and that they had baggy black clothes on. She also told the police that one of them may be Hispanic and the other one um, African American, uh-huh. and she could tell this just by their voices. She sure. said, 
Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> when they asked her who did she think could be behind this, like what uh-huh. would be anyone's motive be to kidnap Ernie, she said that she thought that it had something to do with Ernie's dad. She said that he was always getting into business with shady characters mm-hmm. and that they said that it was payback for him narking on someone and that they were going to actually go now to his dad's house is what she said. Okay. So the police were like, well, fuck, why didn't he tell <laughs> so then he like started like you know one detective immediately leaves to go to Ernie's dad's house and then while he's leaving to go to Ernie's dad's house then Samantha tells the other detective that she thinks that Ernie has his cell phone on him still mm-hmm. so then they decided to do a trace on his She's phone like, maybe you should trace it to see where he ended up yeah mm-hmm. and so they traced his phone and they to see you know they to see where it would ping from and it pinged um from a town 20 minutes away called pittsburgh it pittsburgh texas okay just in case you were yeah. like, how did they get all the way over there <laughs> um so i mean i wasn't paying the most attention to where they were at i wasn't quite in a time or place but... uh arkansas okay but it was nowhere near his dad's house so they yeah. decided to switch directions and they headed to pittsburgh texas um but they aren't able to find anything then all of a sudden the phone was turned off so they were no longer able to trace the pings yeah so the detectives then go over to ernie's dad's house and he wasn't there either they knew his dad uh, the police because mm-hmm. he, him and his brother um ernie's uncle had repeatedly been in and out of trouble over the years so he wasn't in and out of trouble but it was like years ago when they were younger yeah and apparently he got tired in his old age and decided to chill out (laughs) so (laughs) they hadn't any problems with him for a long time yeah but then when they looked into ernie's background they saw that he had actually been arrested in the summer of 2014 for attacking samantha um, she had called the police because she said that he had hit her with a cardboard box. Okay. I know. And so the police went to their house, arrested him, and then immediately issued a protective order. And by the way, Ernie's family, they are adamant that the allegations against him were false, that he did yeah. not. He, they said that Ernie said once that like he lightly hit her, like threw a box, a cardboard box, and it like hit her, but it wouldn't have hurt her. Or yeah. Caused, you know what I mean? So, but anyway, cardboard. yes, yeah. <laughs> like I threw a Q-tip at some. Right. <laughs> um, so, police then asked Samantha, you know, why was he even there if there is a protective order against him? You know, and but she told him that oh, that they worked everything out, they got back together, and everything was great. But then all of a sudden, she was like, you know what? I did meet this guy yesterday when I was at the hospital. His name was Johnny Reb. Johnny Reb. <laughs> Johnny Reb? Like. Reb, like R-E-B. <laughs> uh, and she said, um, he was friends with my friend that had the baby. And then he asked me if he could borrow my car. And then she goes, you know what? He still has my car. You know what? I just you know, remember. Like, he could have done it. So, um, so Johnny Rub. She said that this guy was going to use her car because uh, he borrowed her car because the next morning he was going to bring her her friend home from the hospital uh-huh. because he didn't have a car. And then she mentioned that while she was visiting her friend and this guy Johnny was there, she said that she just happened to mention that her husband abused her. Uh-huh. And he became very angry, like, that's not okay. You don't ever hit a woman, blah, blah, blah. And then she looks down at her phone and was like, oh, you know what? I just got a text and they're at the hospital right now. And so then, like, the police officers, like, looked 
him up on Facebook to see who he was. And uh-huh. his real name is Jonathan Sanford. And he they were able to see that he's he was 25 years old and he had just gotten out of prison. Uh-huh. And so the police then head over to the hospital to question him. And as they're walking into the hospital, they see these two guys walking out of the hospital. And then that's when they realize that it's Jonathan Sanford. And so one detective just yelled out like, hey, Sanford. And then um, they both just took off running in different directions, the two guys. <laughs> Did they run into each other first? And, then go <laughs> yeah, and-, yeah, totally. <laughs> and their eyeballs were like ahuga <laughs> their tongue fell out and into the floor. dust went up yeah. as they ran <laughs> yeah. they were chased down and then they were brought in for questioning so they were able to bring in Jonathan Sanford and then his brother-in-law um, was the other guy his name was Jose Antonio Ponce who's 26 years old and they charged both of them with aggravated kidnapping there was enough evidence that this guy may have kidnapped okay it. Um, so just like a Okay. Yeah, because probably because they like fled and whatever. Yeah. But also because when they brought him in for questioning, Jonathan had no problem talking. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he told the police that he had met Samantha. I mean, he talked so much that it's almost like he was trying to go back to jail. Right. You know, and I think sometimes maybe he like got out of jail, and then so basically, so this woman that or that had the baby or this young girl that had the baby yeah the, he was the father of the baby okay so maybe like he got out of jail and then he went and met the baby and, and he, he was, was like, like fuck i'll go back to jail harder than i thought yeah <laughs> so he said that um he had met samantha the day before at the hospital so that is all true he did just meet her at the hospital that day okay and when he was visiting his girlfriend that had had the baby and he was there with jose ponce and then um another friend named octavius rhymes okay and so he said that samantha was telling her friend all about how her husband was abusive Mm -hmm. and all the three guys were like um no man should hit a woman like this bullshit and then they were like we can rough him up for you if you want or help you get him out of the mm-hmm. picture so like right there in the hospital at the day this baby was born they just came up with this plan to try and get ernie arrested so that he could get thrown in jail and taken out of the picture okay so jonathan hanford jose ponce octavius lamar rhymes yeah and so they had a plan to plant methamphetamine in Ernie's truck and set him up for a drug bust. Uh-huh. Much like the story from last week. Uh-huh. But more meth. <laughs> this time, featuring meth. meth. <laughs> um, so that was the plan. That's what they were going to do. But on the night of February 19th, the three of them, along with Samantha and her children in the car... Cool. And her kids cool, in the cool, car cool. drove. My God, to... what kind of car did they have? They have five kids. I don't know. Three men and a woman. They it's have like a says. cargo van. It says Sanford, Rhyme, Samantha, and her children drove in her vehicle. What she got? I don't know. <laughs> drove a she limousine. Got that third row. <laughs> um, so drove in her vehicle over to Octavius's cousin's house to buy meth. Mm-hmm. And at some point during that visit, they decided that murdering Ernie would be easier. Of course. But That's so much easier than planting drugs. Yes. Yeah. And so Jonathan actually told the police that he had kept Samantha pretty much in the dark about the new plan to kill him. Uh-huh. Um, so he said that they told her that they were going to kidnap him and beat him up, but she was fine with all of that. He also asked her 
oh, well, what are you going to do about the kids? You know, and um, he said that she told him, don't worry about the kids. I'm going to give them something to sleep and they won't hear anything. Oh. I know. And then he said to her, okay, well, if you really want to do this, then just leave your door unlocked. And she left it unlocked. Yeah. So apparently on the way to commit this murder, Jonathan, Jose, and Octavius all decided to smoke the meth that they had bought. <laughs> no, okay, now I see why this plan seemed better. They're like, actually, we want a meth. Yeah, and we just want the meth. <laughs> and so um, let's just kill him and keep the meth. Should we just do that? Oh, meth. And so then after beating Ernie, they ended up driving him to a remote area in Camp County, Texas, nearby. Mm -hmm. And apparently that's where Jose Ponce shot him in the back of the head. Now, both Jose and Jonathan both claimed that the other did it. Yeah. But the police believed Jonathan because he was so forthright with all the information he had actually even told the police at one point like hey i was gonna slit his throat but jose shot him before i could so he was like singing like a canary yeah and so they kind of found jonathan sanford to be more believable because he told them everything and then he also helped the investigators locate Ernie's body, which was found in Camp County. And when they found his body, they saw that he was severely beaten, uh, but what killed him was the shot in the back of the head. Jonathan and Jose's charges uh, went from aggravated assault and kidnapping to aggravated assault, kidnapping, and murder. Mm -hmm. And Ernie's family, when they found out, were obviously devastated. Like, why would anybody kill him? And why would anybody kill him who didn't even know him? I know. Yeah. And, you know, so young and had his whole life ahead of him. And he was a father of five. Yeah. So now police have to find Octavius Rhymes, the third person that was part of this whole scheme and murder. And also the police needed to prove that Samantha was involved. Yeah. And so, but that was easy to do because when they obtained her phone records... They actually found text messages that Samantha sent Octavius Uh while the police were trying to trace Ernie's phone. Uh And it said, kill Ernie's phone, shut that shit down, ditch phone, move. Cool. Yeah. And then she did a vlog about it. (laughs) Yeah. So it's like so fucking obvious, you know what I mean, that she was helping them. Remember when I was like, women are so strong, they can do it. I know, that's why I was like, uh huh, yeah, they are. Let me finish, (laughs) Sally. (laughs) I mean, I guess this is one of those, like, not all women. (laughs) You and I are strong. Um, So. On February 23rd, the police asked her to come down to the station for what she thought was just coming to get Ernie's phone. Uh But that's when they arrested her and charged her with aggravating kidnapping and murder. And then they eventually found Octavius Rhymes in Pittsburgh, Texas, and he was arrested and charged with same charges on uh, February 26, 2015. Um, He said that he didn't know that the kidnapping was going to end in murder. He just thought that they were going to beat him. Mm -hmm. And Jonathan Sanford and Jose Ponce accepted plea deals and they pled guilty in April 2016 and they're each sentenced to 50 years in prison. But Samantha and Octavius maintained their innocence, so they went to trial. Yeah. But they ended up having to go to trial twice because they had to go once in Mount Pleasant for the aggravated kidnapping Mm -hmm. and then once in Camp 
County for the murder. Okay. So, yeah. So, in July of 2016, Octavius was found guilty of kidnapping. And then in December of that year, he went to trial and was found guilty on all counts, receiving a combined 93-year prison sentence. Yeah, man. Yeah. That's what happens. Yeah. And then, uh, but you know what's crazy is that he got like double the sentence of the guys that actually pulled the trigger. Yeah, man. I know. If you, but got to get that plea deal. Got to get that plea deal. And if there's a felony, if, or like, sorry, like a murder and commission of a felony, basically like... If you're, if you, you and I went and we were like, we're going to do an armed robbery on this grocery store. And then I shoot an employee, you could get charged with the murder because we both went in with the intent of like armed robbery and you knew it was like a possibility. So it's like, even though he was like, I didn't mean to murder, he did go to kidnap and beat this guy up. So it doesn't, whatever comes from that was completely foreseeable. So you can be charged with that. Lawyer on this podcast. Um, so, and then in March 2017, Samantha went to trial for the kidnapping mm-hmm. and she claimed that she had taken an Ambien that night and uh-huh. had no recollection of sending any text messages. <laughs> um, and I'm sorry. P- yeah. People can take Ambien and do some dumb shit. I know people like drive cars on Ambien, yeah. but this was a very, um, deliberate text message that right. I don't think you would do. <laughs> As she was talking to police who found her to be totally coherent. I know. So the jury did not believe her, obviously, and she was found guilty with a 50-year sentence for kidnapping. And then when she went on trial for the murder of her husband in September 2017, Jonathan Sanford actually testified against her. Mm -hmm. And he said that she told them, I'm an actress, I'll take care of the cops, and you take care of everything else. So she... So this is what happens when we give YouTubers startup. Exactly. Like when you start telling YouTubers and TikTokers that they're comedians and actors, they're like, I'm a comedian. I'm an actor on the stage. It's like, no, you do videos and content and you're great at that. But like, you're not a fucking stand-up comedian. I might be a little better. Yeah. Well, you know, you know the podcast that we were talking about um, another time of the show, You're Wrong About? Uh-huh. It's so interesting. Did you listen this week? Uh, which one was it? Um, it was about cancel culture. Oh, yes, I did. Uh, did you hear that um, statistic that they said that I think it's something like, and now I'm going to misquote it, but it was something like 20,000 people, mm-hmm. 20,000 YouTubers have over a million subscribers. Wow. Isn't that insane? So that, that insane. many people are YouTube famous, but then are you really if there's 20,000 of you? Yeah, that's It's just crazy. like we live in like it's just like the metrics for what yeah, anything is like who are we? What are we doing right <laughs> now? Uh, but anyway, um so she <laughs> where was I? Okay, so then in two so she was found guilty and yeah. she received a 99-year prison sentence to be served consecutively with her 50-year sentence for mm-hmm. kidnapping. And they believe that her motive for the murder was because she wanted to become YouTube, YouTube famous? famous from the murder. You know what I mean? Like, that would bring a lot of attention to her. Sure would. Um, and so her mother still very much believes that she's innocent. Mm-hmm. Um, so she stands by her daughter, of course. I mean, of course, the mother's going to, and um, she's and she her mother is currently raising her five children. Wow. Uh, Ernie's family thinks that Samantha's in jail where she belongs, and you can find Samantha not only on her old YouTube videos, 
But when I was like researching this, um, I found her account on jailbase.com. No. I didn't even know there was a jailbase. <laughs> but she's just like, hey, hit me up if you like laughing and talk. Uh-huh. And like, and, and, and you want to send some money to my prison account. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh-huh. then it's just like, I can't send you emails back, but you can send me money. It's just really interesting. But cool. so that's, yeah. We live in a weird world. We live in a weird world. Sometimes I want no part of it. Me neither. <laughs> but yeah, that's my crazy. That's story. a good one. Hey, Jen. Hey, Sally. Are you ready for a love story? I am. Okay, good. I mean, sometimes you never know. Sometimes you're just like, no thanks, pass. Today, I'll take it. (laughs) I got my information from a great article in The Washingtonian by Susan Baer in Today.com by Megan Holohan and on Bustle.com by Callie Tansel Sudaf and thegoodnewsnetwork.org. Nice. Okay, so Taylor Givens was in her senior year of high school in the spring of 2011 when she started to feel like something was wrong. She was generally a healthy kid. She was a talented soprano and musician, and she had been accepted into Radford University in Virginia to study music therapy in the fall. But that spring, she was having shortness of breath, racing heart, fatigue, and increased depression and anxiety. And the doctors all told her that she, like, that, oh, it's just senior year stress. We've seen this a million times. And, like, I just want to, like, stop and say, like, how fucking condescending that is yeah. of doctors. Like, have I told this story on the podcast before? But when I was a senior in high school. No. I was, like, my, like, so- my spring semester, last sem- or last semester of high school, I was, like, every day sick to my stomach like I anything I would eat I would immediately like be completely sick to my stomach throw up and I kept going to the doctor and being like something's wrong with me yeah and she kept being like you're just nervous for college and I was like but I'm not nervous for college like I'm fine I'm in college I'm happy like and uh and then eventually she took a blood test and discovered that I had this like bacterial infection (gasps) that was so bad that I ended up having to be on like four different types of antibiotics for months oh my god and it did like permanent damage to my stomach I mean it's just like it's crazy because I'm like I kept being like I don't I think something's really wrong like this is not normal oh my god for someone who's 18 to be like Every time you eat something, sick to your stomach. But I was like, so skinny. <laughs> I was going to say, like, I remember once um, my uh, uncle was like, uh, Jen, you lost a lot of weight. It must be that uh, college stress on. And I was like, it's drugs. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah, stress from studying. <laughs> Studying so much. <laughs> I just can't find time to eat. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that's weird. <laughs> so, okay. So for Taylor, having all these symptoms and then the depression and anxiety got so bad that eventually they admitted her for a week at a psychiatric facility in Falls Church and they gave her mood stabilizing drugs and like she had art therapy But, like, nothing. It didn't help. Like, it obviously was not that. And she says, I knew my body better than anybody, and I knew something was wrong. So, finally, she and her family persuaded her pediatrician to order a chest x-ray, and this was in early April. So, 
After the chest x-ray, that very night, the pediatrician called and was like, uh, you got to go to the cardiologist tomorrow. And so she go, ends up going to school and the parents made an appointment in like the middle of the afternoon. They came, they took her out of class and the cardiologist did an echocardiogram and was like, you have to go to the hospital right now. Oh my God. And the family was like, okay, can we go home and pack a bag? And they were like, no, there's no time. And if you aren't going to go to the hospital, I will call an ambulance for her right now. Holy shit. So when she got to the hospital, her heart was functioning at 10%, which is like, it should be function obviously much higher than that. Yeah. Um, and the cardiologist told her parents that most kids who come into the hospital in Taylor's condition don't make it 24 hours. Wow. So Taylor was in the ICU for the next few days in acute heart failure and the pediatric cardiologists were not used to dealing with that because that is something that generally happens in adults. And Taylor's mom said she actually saw one of the cardiologists crying. <gasps> and that made her realize, oh like, my God. How, right, how dire things were. She was like, I mean, because they went from, like, a healthy kid who was just having some shortness of breath to, like, your kid's going to die in 24 hours. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. It's Yes, it's, it's awful. But spoiler alert, she's fine. Okay. Thank God. Um, so the pediatric cardiologists were basically, they realized they're out of their depth. So they called in Dr. Shawshank Desai, who was the medical director of the Adult Heart Failure Transplant Program. So he came in and he performed a procedure to stabilize Taylor's heart. And he started the process of getting her on the wait list for a heart transplant. Because mm-hmm. he was like, basically what they found out that was, he was like, I think she had some kind of viral infection. And that caused, sometimes in young people, it can cause like, basically like heart failure. Like your wow. heart is just like, see ya. Um, so Taylor was mostly stable and in the hospital for over a month. But then in early June, she started declining, and her heart function went down to 5%. Oh, my God. And Dr. Desai was like, she needs a heart transplant within days to survive. So she was put on this machine called an ECMO, which is basically, it's like, they call it like the highest level of life support, and it is a last resort for heart patients. And patients can really only survive on the ECMO for like a week or two. And, uh, and so like because of how how hard it is on the body basically they said that most people don't who go on the ecmo don't survive to get a transplant um so one night the ecmo started to fail and the nurses brought in a backup and they got the original back one back working but soon a nurse came in to get the backup and told taylor there's a boy a couple days doors down he's just a little bit older than you He's also in heart failure, waiting for a transplant, and we need to take this backup ECMO to his room. Oh, my gosh. So the boy a couple doors down was named Colin Cabelja, and Colin had been born with a congenital heart defect, and he had already had a heart transplant at 17 months old, which, I mean, I can't even imagine your 17-month-old having to have a heart transplant. And this was, like, is not something that's done very often for small kids and was definitely not done in the 90s when this happened. Um, kids at that time only had a 50% survival rate of just the transplant itself. And so obviously his parents were very nervous about having this procedure. Yeah, of course. Um, but they said that two weeks before his surgery, they were at a Chinese restaurant. And Colin, who was, you know, he was just a toddler, bit into this fortune cookie, fortune cookie. And the fortune said, you will have a change of heart. Isn't that crazy? Oh, my God, And yes. so they took it as a good sign. And, and for years, his heart transplant was a success story. He ran he swam he played soccer he was like 
this social butterfly. He was a camp counselor. But then at age 22, he thought he had the flu. But his dad, who had actually been inspired by his experience with Colin, had in the 20 years since his transplant, become a doctor himself. He became an anesthesiologist, but so he listens to Colin's heart and he was like, this isn't right. Something's, this is not the flu. So he called Colin's cardiologist, who was Dr. Desai, and the doctor was like, you need to come to the hospital right now. So just like with Taylor, when Colin got to the hospital, his heart was at 10% function. He was also was put on the transplant list And just like Taylor, he was put on an ECMO and his parents were told that if a heart didn't come available in the next few days, that they would have to have a hard conversation. And his Mm. dad said, I obviously I knew what that meant. Like if it didn't come in a few days, then he wasn't going to survive. So the doctors at the hospital were hopeful, but they weren't optimistic. Dr. Desai said that he had never had a patient who had survived to get a transplant once they went on the ECMO. So it had never happened where like, once you go on this very severe life support that you come out alive. So, but then by some miracle, hearts became available for both Taylor and Colin within 24 hours of each other. Yeah. So on June 9th, Taylor's surgery started in the morning and Colin's in the afternoon. And it was discovered during this heart transplant that Taylor had been bleeding from an artery torn by the ECMO tube. But she made it. She survived. Doctors told the family that if the heart had come even a few hours later, it would have been too late. Colin also survived his surgery. But for both, the recovery was long and painful. They were only two doors down from each other at the hospital. But although they heard about each other while they were at the hospital, of course, their families met. You know, they're like these two miracle young people who randomly both at the same time had heart transplants and, um, and survived the ECMO machine but they never met in the hospital. They did meet at follow-up appointments with Dr. Desai because they would also schedule them back to back. But although Taylor was like, I want to be friends with this guy, he was like completely standoffish. He says, I was in a really bad place. I didn't want to engage. I was unhappy. I didn't want to talk about the experience. And Taylor says, I just thought he's such a jerk. I hate him. But still they became friends on Facebook. And that is how Taylor learned that a year and a half Later, Colin, who is now living in San Diego, had to have a third heart transplant procedure. So this time his recovery was so much quicker. Oh, good. But Taylor was kind of like shook by this. Like even though she she just thinks like, you know, it's forever. Well, yeah, she was like, yeah, she was like, this is just it made her, even though she knew the odds that sometimes, you know, doesn't always work out. But she was like, oh, good, this could happen to me, too. And she felt kind of like a ticking time bomb, you know. So there were like a, the two like got in touch a couple times over the years, but like Taylor would sometimes reach out with like medical questions, um, but nothing. They weren't in touch regularly. But then on June 9th, 2016, which was the five year anniversary of their transplants, Colin sent a Facebook message to Taylor that said, hey there, quick question. Does Dr. Desai and or Mary Beth, who was a nurse, still work at Innova, which is a hospital? And Taylor happened to be at the hospital. She had just had her tonsils out. And so she wrote back immediately, like, yep, they both still do. I'm actually down in the step-down unit right now, and I think they're both here today as well. I should be leaving in like a half an hour, hopefully, but I'm in 321 CTU North if you want to stop by. That would be pretty cool. 
So Colin stopped by. And at this point in his life, he was like back to his sunny self. Like he was, he had always been this happy guy, but like right after his second heart transplant, he was just in a bad place. Yeah. But like, this is now five years later. He's his second, his third heart really seemed to take for him. He was in college in California. And so, and Taylor was nannying, taking night classes at George Mason University. And she had started public speaking on behalf of organ donation. And they had this like 15 minute kind of like, hey, how's your heart? How's my heart? What are you doing in college? Like conversation that wasn't really like about anything. Yeah. While Taylor waited to get discharged. But like, even though this conversation seemed mundane, Taylor says that it was like obvious there was a spark. And her mom happened to be in the room and her mom said, oh my gosh, I could see just in the way he was smiling at her and the way she was smiling at him. It felt very different than just an acquaintance you would run into and catch up with. Mm -hmm. So they got each other's numbers. They started texting. And a week later, they were having dinner together. And they said there was this really cute moment where they both, at the exact same time, had to stop and take their heart medicine. And it was just like, (laughs) it was like just kind of like a synchro. They did it at the exact same time. And Colin asked Taylor to come out to visit him in California. And so she went. And they... While she was there, she was there for a week. They discovered they had much more common than just their medical history. After a week in California, the two knew that they wanted to be together forever. They decided to wait for Colin to finish school. Um, But by the summer of 2017, the plan was that he was going to move back to D.C. so that they can become officially engaged and then get married in June of 2018. But just as Colin was getting ready to move, Taylor got diagnosed with cancer. Oh, my God. I know. This poor girl. This was a type of cancer that sometimes happens after transplants, apparently. She had tumors in her pelvis, abdomen, and chest. And doctors were, like, amazed by her resolve. They said her feeling was, this is just another challenge in my life. What do I need to move forward? So Colin moved from California as planned to be with Taylor. uh, And the two stayed with Taylor's family. He was at his beds, her bedside through months of chemotherapy, weight loss and hair loss, pneumonia, drug-induced loopiness. And she said that it was like even harder than a heart surgery. Because she says, once you get the transplant, you're in pain, but every day gets better and better. With cancer and chemo, not so much. It was about six months of constant awful. But by the spring of that year, she had finished treatment and her cancer was in complete remission, which was the best thing she could have hoped for. Yeah, wow. So Taylor and Colin were married on Aww. October 26, 2019, in what if my Instagram stalking to see their photos is to believe was like a gorgeous ceremony. They both look radiant and happy, and Aww. they just seem very much still in love. And the two believe that their union was faded. Taylor said, all of the things that fell into place for us to be together are wild. Everything has happened exactly as it needed to happen. And Colin says, we've been really lucky together. It all lined up. Colin said, the whole point of having a transplant is just so you can live your life. Go make it as normal or not normal as you want. Yes, you're different. You're special in a way, but that's not how I think about it. We're just grateful to be alive and have a relationship where we can love each other. So if you want to find out more about becoming an organ donor, you can go to donatelife.net. I love that. Yeah. Yay. There you go. Good love story. Oh. Are you ready to do something dumb and something we love? I'm ready. Okay, great. I will 
start. Um, something dumb. I'm going to go ahead and say um, something dumb, but I'm so happy for them. <laughs> but my friend Kristen, you guys have heard me talk about her multiple times. Yes. She's like a side, she's a character on the podcast. Uh-huh. Um, but um, her and her family moved, uh, just moved to Portland. Yeah. And I'm so happy for them. They're like, and I love, like, they're, they took like a two week cross country, like, adventure yeah. while moving. Um, there and I'm very happy for them. The dumb thing is, is that I'm gonna miss them so much. Yeah. Uh, you know, we were close friends. Our kids are the same ages. We've had like our babies grew up together. Yeah. And they were a block away, so we were always like super close. They were in my pod. Yeah. Like, quarantine. I was gonna say that's like you know the last year has been like their, yeah their family. Yeah. Like yeah. yes, she's definitely like a sister, and mm-hmm. so. um it's going to be weird not having you, Kristen. And I know you're already crying. <laughs> now I'm crying. Um, I love you so much. And um, I know you guys are going to have the best adventure. And what is awesome is that, and what I love is that I can't wait to come visit you. Yeah. So Because I've never been to Portland. So I'm I've never been to, to Portland go. either. Let's go. Yeah. Let's go do some shows or something. Um, well... I, you know, I think that Max is also really heartbroken that Nugget is gone. Nugget the cat. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Max did come meet Max, Nugget. Max fell in love with Kristen's cat. He met, oh. met her, him once. Him. And uh, mm-hmm. has got a picture with him and is like, talks about him every day. Oh, that is so cute. <laughs> well, um, Nugget is currently, as we were recording, he is in Seattle, but it's getting picked up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because I had to, like, fly him over. Yeah. He flew uh, first cat class (laughs) to to, uh, Seattle. So now um, they've got to drive up there and get him. Yeah. (laughs) After all that driving. After all that. So, yeah. But, um, yeah. So uh, that's something dumb and I love. Um, And I also love a mayor of east town <laughs> yeah sorry to change subjects Kristen. you know i love yeah <laughs> uh, but holy shit are you watching this show i just had it in my notes to shout it out or just to talk about it it's so, so like, good oh my god it's so good it's so fucking good i haven't been into a show like this in a long time to where i'm like like a thousand percent all in yeah you know what i mean i'm, I'm into the the fucking writing i'm into every single character she's amazing i'm into the acting yeah. none of it seems cheesy or you know what i mean yeah like it just somebody so fucking i saw good. somebody say that they thought the accents evan peters oh, evan peters oh, i was yeah. like where have you been i oh, know yeah. i mean i recognize him but i'm like man he was so good oh so good yeah someone was saying that they were like the accents are like overblown i was like are you kidding me that is where like where they are the place that they're filming, or not filming, but the place that it's supposed to be is right by where Bem grew up. Yeah. And that is exactly how all of his friends sound. Like, that accent, wow. that, like, Pennsylvania, Delaware home. accent. Home. home. 
that always, is that's, like, that's always my impression of Ben. I always go, Tony, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> that's my new accent obsession. It used to be all Australian, and now I'm full in <laughs> Pennsylvania accent. Oh my this god, my new Evan thing. Peters sounds exactly like Ben's friend TJ. Oh. I'm like, oh my god, like every time here, I was like, it's amazing. It's TJ Barry. Like, <laughs> it sounds exactly like him. It's crazy. God, check I love it, it out, everybody. It's so fucking yeah, good. it's so good. Okay, I have another TV show that I just binged and is so good. It is called We Are Lady Parts. Have you heard of it? No. It is on Peacock. If you liked, it's very, it's different, but if you liked Girls 5 Eva, which I know did. you did. I did. You you told me to watch it, and I watched it in like two days. And it's so funny, right? Yes. This show is kind of in the same vein. Not in the same vein, but... Do you know, I You'll was like it. four episodes in before I realized that was Sarah Burles. I know. <laughs> and like, I was like, she's a, we talked about this. Yeah. But like, she's a real actress and comedian. Yeah. I was like, like I just assumed comic. it was a comedian yeah. that's also an actress. Like, she's got fucking chops. Yeah. She's so good wow. at that. Wow. And she can sing. And she's, she can sing. So yeah. So We Are Lady Parts. It's also on Peacock. Also Girls 5 Eva, if you guys haven't watched we it. Are, so what is We Are Lady 5 it's about a all-female Muslim punk band. Oh, uh, I saw like previews for that, but I haven't watched it yet. It's great. Okay, cool. I wa- I like binged it during the day. Awesome. I mean, when I was not when working. When you weren't working. Uh, and then I told Ben about it, and then he like stayed up all night watching it, like binged it. It's real quick episodes. There cool. are only like five or six of them. It's so good. Awesome. Yeah. I will check Highly that out. Recommend. Great job. All right. Well, there you, you go, guys. Great job. To, great job, it. everybody. We did it. <laughs> we did it. Go team. All right. You guys, I hope you're having a great week out there. We're happy to be back. We're happy to be together. I'm happy to have this glass of wine. Yeah. And uh, yeah, find us on all the places. Hit us up. At Dumb Love Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Subway station advertisements. Find us. Find um, us. <laughs> but most importantly, get little comics in the Bazooka Joe. <laughs> most importantly, get out there and do something dumb for love. Dum da dum 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 da dum da dum da dum da dum da dum da dum.